This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Show before the show podcast from MILB.com. Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra. Hi. How you doing? What's going on? Are, are you talking to me or are you yeah, talking you. to people at home? Oh, okay. Now, I, now I, you. Now I you. thought you were having a conversation with the people Them at home. First. It was very nice. Yeah. Now you. Okay. No, hi, no. It's, hi, Tyler. How are you? <laughs> I'm hanging in there. But now that I know when to respond and have a conversation like a normal human being. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm leaving this in I'm leaving this in we're such a well-oiled machine now that uh when we have when we have hiccups i feel like we owe it to the fans to uh to keep it going to keep it in keep it well keep it unedited well th- th- see that's the thing we joked about this a couple of weeks ago but when we did the live stream of mlb the show 20 and we'll talk a little bit more about that here coming up but uh you left in the intro which was just you saying okay i'm gonna wait I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Hey, there we go. And it was just like, it worked so perfectly because it just set the tone of what we're going for. We're not going for this buttoned up broadcast of no. like, here's exactly what happened and all that kind of stuff. It's just us chattering about baseball and, and have fun with it. Um, so now this is just a continuation of that. I feel like it's, uh, you know, the podcast at its base level is us going into your homes, your cars, wherever you listen to us uh, while you do chores, while you mow the lawn whatever hopefully at home hopefully you're staying home safe but uh yeah there, there are going to be some awkward pauses like there are in regular conversations exactly. so we want to leave those in. i'm yeah. full of them in real life as as much as you might not think it because i never shut up uh on the podcast but uh hey with that um we welcome you in to this week's episode of uh the old show before the show from milb.com i am tyler mon he is sam dykstra and uh we got a lot coming up for you on the show today uh our very next segment the 23rd birthday present in the life of Sean Jelly, the ninth-ranked prospect in the San Francisco Giants organization, is that he got to be on the show this week. I'm sure that was what he was uh, wanting. I would imagine. Man, list I, birthday. Say, I want to. I want to be on the podcast. I wish we could say that I planned out the show to know that, <laughs> uh, but I I did not. <laughs> when when we reached out to him and and you. As everybody will hear coming up, you'll say, like, oh, and it's your birthday coming up. What are you doing? That even shocked me. I was like, I do not check for birthdays. I need to start doing that. Um, <laughs> so that worked incredibly well. That was, was very luck. fortuitous. It was it was pure luck for me. I was looking at his baseball reference page. And, of course, baseball reference lists uh, not only the birthday but age in uh, days, uh, like years and days. Um, and it said 22 years, 365 days. And I was like, isn't that just 23 years? Oh, tomorrow's his birthday. So <laughs> it's not like I did any prep. I just happened to glance at it and got lucky. Pretty much my whole my whole process for this podcast is letting Sam do the heavy lifting, and I try to get lucky every once in a while, well, pointing things out. 
I also like that you looked at his birthday and it was the amount of days that tipped it off, not the fact that it was May 6th. Right. Like, have well, we, have we just I lost the, complete? I think I caught the 365D before I looked at the actual date. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I can just imagine you Whatever looking at May, May 7th and being like, oh, <laughs> that's not near now. Okay. I can f- put that away. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, so uh, with that, uh, what's what's been going on with you this week? Uh, we've got a lot of good stuff up on the site. We're going to hear uh, in a little bit from Benjamin Hill, who's got a great story that's up on the site. Uh, Gerard Goberto will join us in a little while for a connection between a Mets prospect and a member of pop culture that will blow you away if you don't already know this story. Uh, we've had some great tool shed pieces. What else has been going on with you? Uh, not much. Yeah. Speaking of tool shed, I mean, last week uh, we came out with a story that I, I really enjoyed writing. Um, as most people know, I'm a Massachusetts native. I grew up going to the Cape Cod every summer. We used to go camping there in Brewster. So when I heard that the Cape Cod Baseball League uh, was canceled for 2020, which, you know, like so many other summer leagues and leagues that require a lot of travel, they've been canceled uh, for the year. The Cape League was one of them. If you've never heard of the Cape League, it's pretty easily the uh biggest and best wood bat collegiate summer league in the entire country uh so many top prospects go there adley rutschman has been there before spencer torkelson has been there before uh in order for guys who play all spring playing with uh, metal in their hands and sometimes not always against great competition they go to the cape and show that they can compete against some of the top arms some of the top bats in all of college baseball it's a really fun atmosphere Uh, i grew up going to the all-star game every year i have autographs from like evan longoria uh, back when he was coming up i I remember watching tony Gwynn jr and everybody was all abuzz because tony Gwynn was actually there to watch him stuff like that um so i wanted to find a way to kind of celebrate the cape league a little bit and i found a story in that the cape league is an opportunity for guys to build their status too it's not just showing that they are one of the top prospects with metal in their hands, they can do the same with wood. Sometimes it's, hey, we might think of something of you. Go to the Cape. If you perform there, you'll be a first-round pick. Somebody fit perfectly in there was Nick Gonzalez uh, out of New Mexico State. He was the Cape League MVP last year. New Mexico State is a very offensive-rich environment. Uh, so is the WAC in general. Uh, he gets to play at elevation a bunch. So when he put up crazy numbers, I think he won the NCAA batting title, uh, everybody was skeptical about that because he was doing it basically in the NCAA's version of the PCL or the Cal League. Uh, He goes to the Cape, wins the MVP award there, was a very good hitter there. Uh, I talked to Mike Roberts, who is his manager with Katuit, and is also the father of former major leaguer Brian Roberts, about what Nick Gonzalez was able to do. And it was kind of just a celebration of what the Cape can be and what is lost you know, what what is going to happen for the draft class of 2021 if they don't have the cape to rely on? Um, so just some s- stuff to think about with that and how the example of Nick Gonzalez is great for his draft status going into 2020. A lot of people expect him to be a top five pick um, because of what he showed on the cape and what's going to be lost going forward. So these are the types of stories you can find on the site. We're doing a lot of this stuff now, not just fun stuff that we wouldn't have gotten to cover otherwise, but also stuff about how does the modern situation we're all in with, with quarantine, the seasons being put on pause or in the case of the cape league getting canceled altogether what effects do these have what are the ripple effects and how long are we going to be talking about them so always check back on the site every day we've got new stuff like this every day 
And we got some fun stuff coming up on the show for you uh, right now. So a couple of weeks ago, if you uh, if you missed it, we did a simulation on MLB The Show 20 of two top prospect teams that Sam and I drafted uh, that we pitted against each other. And uh, I kind of I can't remember the result. Do you remember what happened in that game, Sam? Uh, I might. My team lost. I know oh, my team had fewer right. runs. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. So that means my team won, I guess, right, is what we're saying? In a manner of speaking. <laughs> um, we had a great a great meeting between the fictional Hartford Yard Goats uh, and fictional Rocket City Trash Pandas, and uh, my team won. And uh, being that my team won, Sam then wanted to uh, have a rematch in which he's going to try, probably fruitlessly, uh, to beat me again. And so we decided to uh, do another draft. And we're going with different roster rules this time around, different uh, selection criteria. And uh, first off, let's lay those out for everybody. We're not going to go through pick by pick like we did last time. We've already done the, the selections, but we're going to give you our lineups and our starters. And uh, Sam, explain to to the good folks what we're doing this time around. Yeah, so uh, we wanted to kind of come at you in a different direction this time. Last time it was just, hey, all prospects are eligible. Take whoever you want. Let's build the best rosters we can and have some fun with it. Uh, now we wanted to limit it a, a little bit. So we went back and forth on ideas, and we still have lots that we'll touch on in the coming weeks. We're, we're not just out of ideas already. But this one was – and if you heard us on the show last time, we talked about this a lot, it is these games are going to have a futures game style feel. It's a lot of the top prospects who aren't typically playing against each other from all different levels, all different organizations. We thought, why not make the Futures game? But we went back to the old rules. Uh, recently, it went AL versus NL. Now we're going back to U.S. versus the world. Uh, so Tyler has the world roster. I have the U.S. roster. Uh, and we added two other limitations beyond that. One was it couldn't be a player who was played in the major leagues yet. Um, so Gavin Lux will not be included in this. Dustin May won't be included in this. Brendan McKay, etc etc we wanted it to limit it just to guys with minor league experience and also if a player appeared in game one of our series they can't be on the roster here so if we had somebody on the roster and they may have gotten up in the bullpen but didn't feature in the game or they sat on the bench they're eligible here we we just don't want to be talking about the same guys over and over Um, so if we didn't get a chance to talk about them game one Now's our chance here in game two. Uh, really exciting possibilities there to talk about some new guys, bring you guys some new information, and to see how some guys perform in a video video game like this in, in a simulation. Uh, so that'll be really neat. Um, but I am going to be playing as the Durham Bulls, uh, as, US, as the U.S. roster. You can't make your own uniforms or anything like that. So I thought about what's like the most classic American team I could go with that's eligible in this game. And I thought Durham Bulls, it's perfect. American cultural film that everybody loves to talk about. Durham seemed right up that alley. Tyler, you're going to be the Albuquerque isotopes, right? I am. Yeah. Um, you know, I figure a nice crossover triple a matchup. We did a crossover double a matchup last time. Um, plus they're the closest triple a team to me geographically. And uh, I love me some Topes. love Josh Sushan, their radio voice. I love The Simpsons. I love Isotopes Park. Uh, you know, it's got it all. I didn't even think about that. We have two pop cultural references. We do. We do. We, uh, we our, chose very well here. Yeah. in that regard. Yeah, I'm proud of us. Yeah, so maybe this is a you know, AAA National Championship preview at some point, at least in terms of the, the team names that we picked here. Yeah. So 
Uh, just to run through my roster real quick, these are just going to be the starters. Uh, somebody else might appear in the game later as a pinch hitter. We, we've gone through our bullpens. We've gone through our benches, all that. But just in terms of starters, at catcher, I have Joey Bart. At first base, I have Alex Kirilov. Sometimes an outfielder in the twin system, but I'm putting him at first base. Second base, I have Xavier Edwards. Third base, Nolan Jones. Shortstop, Roy, Royce Lewis. The three outfield spots are Taylor Trammell, uh, who I wanted to get in here because he always seems to perform in a Futures game-style atmosphere. He was the MVP two years ago, performed really well last year in Cleveland, wanted to make sure he got on the team. J.J. Boudet of the Miami Marlins and Drew Waters of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, my starting pitcher is going to be Nate Pearson. Uh, I can't wait to see what he does in, in a game like this. Uh, it won't be pure Futures game It's it, because we're simulating – my team's probably going to ride Pearson for a while, see how much we can get out of him. But the, the chance to watch a game with a guy throwing 100 miles an hour whenever he feels like it should be a lot of fun. Uh, so that's that's my starting lineup. Um, I'll put together the full lineup in terms of how everybody's going to be, where, where they're going to be put into there uh, at, at a later date. And I, I don't know if I said my DH. My DH is Nolan Gorman of the St. Louis Cardinals plus plus raw power out of him hopefully you can hit some bombs against tyler's team uh so that's that's my starting 10 tyler what do you got uh yeah so i've got a uh, a roster that is very heavily um talented young prospect from the dominican republic on the the world team side also got a couple of guys from venezuela a couple of guys from the bahamas um, we've got an australian player on the roster we've got a player from uh, taiwan on the roster so we're trying to go as world team as possible um as sam noted can't be big league guys so abraham toro was out for me who's gotten some big league time he's a canadian um can't be guys who played in the last game which uh between the two of us which uh limited me from selecting a couple of pitchers that i really loved having in Cisto sanchez uh who closed out my uh my win my legendary win we'll say over sam uh and also luis patino um one thing that we should note Sam wanted Jeter Downs for his roster, uh, and I selected Jeter Downs, and Sam said, what are you doing putting Jeter Downs uh, on a world team roster? And I said, oh, you mean Columbia-born Jeter Downs? So uh, I get to I get to do that. Hold on. Let me just brush off these tire marks of you just running me over and then backing up again and then running San me over. San Andreas Columbia product, Jeter Downs, Sam? Yeah. Listen, uh, Jeter Downs did, was he drafted. He did graduate from high school and he was drafted – uh, by the Cincinnati round and the Cincinnati Reds in uh, the CBA round in 2017. So he's kind of one of those sort of confusing guys who could fall really on either roster. And we were talking about this before we started recording. Jesus Luzardo uh, pitched for the world team a few years ago because he was born in Peru, but grew up, moved to the United States when he was like an infant. We uh, we had him on the show um, and talked a little bit about that. So there are obviously some gray areas for roster rules here, but uh, sometimes you got to use those to your own advantage, Sam. That's what I did. To, yeah, to your own advantage, it sounds like. My advantage. Listen, it's fine. It's fine. Xavier Edwards was going to be on my bench. I'll put him at second base. He, hopefully he steals like five bases against you. Uh, it's fine. I'll, I'll live. Okay. All right. I see. I see where the, the trash talking from winless Sam Dykstra is coming along. Um, so let's uh, get this <laughs> – this thing started uh i went with uh Cabert ruiz of the los angeles dodgers as my starting catcher uh a, a venezuela product i was leaning toward his countryman francisco alvarez but uh, of the new york Mets system but the dodgers ruiz uh, a little bit more veteran guy higher up the ladder feel like he probably profiles better in a video game uh i've got a a dominican republic laced infield uh lewin diaz from the miami marlins a lot of marlins guys on my roster by the way which is kind of interesting 
Vidal Brujan from the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, O'Neill Cruz, the towering shortstop prospect in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. I've got him at third base. Uh, and then I've got Marco Luciano from the San Francisco Giants at short. Uh, my outfield is Julio Rodriguez, also from the DR. Jesus Sanchez, also from the DR. Those two from the Mariners and the Marlins. And then Puerto Rico's Elliot Ramos uh, from the San Francisco Giants. He's my third outfielder. Um, designated hitter is Christian Robinson from the Bahamas, the Arizona Diamondbacks prospect. And my starting pitch going lefty this time around uh Braylon Marquez who's got a fastball that grades out at like 480 on the 20 to 80 scouting scale I believe uh for uh for prospect evaluation but uh the lefty out of the Cubs organization it's actually just an 80 fastball but we'll just we'll talk it up a little bit um he sat 96 98 last year by the way and he's 20 years old it's gonna be a lot of heat it's gonna be a lot of heat heat. Nate so, Pearson versus Braylon Marquez is uh, the future of velocity. Matchup. That is a fun yeah. matchup. Um, and, uh, yeah, we got some guys uh, in our bullpens. And, you know, we talked on the broadcast that we did about how our bullpens are constructed of starters. I mean, we we want you to have guys coming into the game who you know of and are aware of. So I've got, you know, Davey Garcia from the Yankees organization. Um, I went out and plucked some guys from other world locations. So Alex Wells from Australia from the Baltimore Orioles system. Uh, he is one of our um, relief core members. Uh, Chi Jung Liu, um, who was signed and kind of an interesting route to get to the Boston Red Sox system. He actually is not pitched professionally yet, uh, but he's out of Tainan City in Taiwan. Um, I believe dealt with some injury issues and then pitched at a university there and then signed with the Red Sox. So he's 21 uh, and signed toward the end of last October. So he has not made his professional debut yet. There are a lot of uh, prospect evaluators who really like him. Um, But yeah, this was fun putting these two groups together because it's different than just, okay, everybody's in the same pool and now go for it with, with constructing these rosters from all of the talent minor league baseball. Yeah, and I think we t- get a little bit more of an appreciation for the people who have to put together yeah, the Futures Game rosters. This. Yeah, we didn't do the stipulation of like er- somebody from every organization has to be in this game. We could have, but um, it- it's more fun here if we just try to make the best teams we possibly can within these parameters. Um, but the- this is just one possibility. We have other ideas coming down the pipe. Really excited to see how this one comes out, especially because I need a win. Um, but I, I'm feeling good about this because last time we did this, you were the one who said, Hey, if Mackenzie Gore gets shelled, I can bring in Casey Mize out of the bullpen. Well, I now have Casey Mize. You plucked him from my grasp. Yeah. Your team went with Matt Manning out of the bullpen instead of Casey Mize. So he's still eligible. I'm going to take him, uh, guys like Forrest Whitley, Spencer Howard, Logan Gilbert, Tarek Skubal, DL Hall as left-handers. Uh, I might make Hunter Green my closer. I know he's, recovering from Tommy John surgery, but this is a video game where he's healthy. So see what he can do with his velocity coming out of the back end of that bullpen. Uh, I like what I can do with some of these matchups. It's going to be fun. And uh, we'll put it together. We'll do the same thing we did last time. Uh, have a broadcast that will go live on the YouTube channel of minor league baseball. Uh, we'll put it up on the podcast page and all that as well. But uh, this should be another whole bunch of fun for the two of us. And now, you know, we got the first broadcast out of the way. Now we're a we're a seasoned broadcast duo. I am more seasoned than I was. I can say that. Uh, you are always seasoned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, not, let's not go crazy here. You're the only one who provides any insight. I'm like, oh, they got bratwurst cooking. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I enjoyed that. Your ad libs of like, 
Oh yeah, they've got elk bratwurst, yeah, and I'm like, where, where did you like get elk? The ballpark with us. Yeah, we'll have to choose a fun stadium this time. I haven't done that yet. Yeah. Last time we played at the porch. Uh, this time we'll play at something a little bit different. Um, I kind of wish that there was, uh, you know, back in the day on triple play baseball for uh, the original PlayStation, you used to be able to like play on the moon, um, stuff like that. I wish that there was a little bit more craziness in the show that we could do those things. But you know, we'll we'll find one of the fun ones. My favorite one was to play in somebody's living room. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. And there were like home run derbies you could do. And if you hit like the lamp or something, it was an extra 500 points. I I, I have memories of that. I, I don't forgot know about that. Huh. But yeah. I wish they could do something for 2021. If you're yeah. uh, Sony Studios, Sony San Diego Studios, and you're listening, write that one down. Bring it back. Actually um, had this conversation with some people on uh, on Twitter. There was a thread that I stumbled upon. The the old ballparks, they've got classic ballparks on the show. Um, and, of course, you know, the Polo Grounds is there, and Forbes Field is there, and Crosley Field, and Scheib Park. And um, nowadays they've got old Yankee Stadium and Shea Stadium and the Metrodome and uh, whatever they called the Marlins Stadium by the time they moved out. What was formerly the new Orange Bowl and then had 97 different names. Um, but they haven't really added to that group in a long time. And uh, it's sort of, it's certainly not stale. Like, it's still very cool to play a game at Griffith Stadium or Sportsman's Park or whatever it is. But, like, I would love for Ebbets Field to be in that game or uh, the original Yankee Stadium before the, the renovation in the 70s. And this is so off topic and so pointless that has nothing to do with anything else that's coming up on the show today. But somebody I saw on a Reddit thread, uh, which, you know, means that it's true because it's on the internet. Somebody said beyond just the logistics of what it would take to create those new ballparks, which I would imagine is extraordinarily difficult. I wonder if there are any sort of rights issues that come up with that of, okay, you want to create uh, League Park from Cleveland Cleveland from the early part of the 20th century does someone actually own some sort of rights to the display of that ballpark in a video game I have no idea how that would work um so if there is somebody out there listening who's like a you know an entertainment lawyer or knows somebody or something I've been fascinated by that uh ever since we we started kind of diving into all this stuff um we'll be going with one of the minor league ballparks so you know Crystal Falls Stadium or uh Riverboat Field or Laughing Mountain Park one of those. I don't know. Yeah, one of, I think we're going to go with the one with the uh, Ferris wheel in the background. Okay. One that looks like it's Quad Cities. Okay. I'm good with that. I, I really like playing at that one. Or there's one that looks like it's uh, on, along the East River here in Brooklyn. Like it's facing the Manhattan Bridge okay. for reasons. Even though that's – there's no way that there, – there are a bunch of options we can Yeah, there's a lot yeah, of we'll, good ones. We'll have to go from League Park. I would not want to do the Polo Grounds because the Polo yeah. Grounds scares me. It's a nightmare. To know – yeah. Like, oh, here's a 420-foot fly out to dead center. Or here's a 250-foot homer to left. Right, because right. The two the two extremes. And actually, yeah. 420 is, like, short for a fly out on the polo grounds. It's like, here's 520 to dead center on the polo grounds, and it's an easy catch on the track. <laughs> yeah, and a 260-foot bomb off of the facade in left field. Makes perfect sense. Uh, but so we're going to get that going on uh, real soon. Uh, and you can check it all out at MILB.com. And uh, a lot coming up for you on the show here today. 
one point um for a little bit later gerard's call the internet of course with everyone being on it all at the same time and doing uh their zoom calls and their facetimes and their uh their their myspace and their friendster um we've got some some clips and audio uh glitches but bear with us you can get through the interview and we get let's say 98 percent of it all clear um but sometimes the internet doesn't cooperate uh but gerard's coming up in a little bit Benjamin Hill is coming up in a little bit as well, and uh, Sean Jelly will join us here in just a moment. Minor League Baseball and Feeding America have teamed up to raise funds for local food banks and to honor those risking their lives on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. For every $10 donated to Feeding America, a minor league baseball team will donate one ticket to a local hero. Join us in making a difference in our local communities by visiting MILB.com forward slash community first. That's MILB.com forward slash community first to donate today. Giants ninth ranked prospect Sean Jelly joins the show next. San Francisco Giants organization is where we spend this week's episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. And uh, not only with a top 10 Giants prospect, Sean Jelly, who joins us, but also in a Giants minor league destination as he's camped out in uh, in Richmond, Virginia right now. Sean, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing pretty well, guys. How you guys doing? We're good. Um, obviously, a, a very strange May 6th, and uh, we owe you, before we get started on uh, on anything, a happy birthday. Tomorrow's your birthday, correct? Uh, yes, it is. Oh, I appreciate that, guys. Absolutely, man. So 23, what's the big, uh, what's the plan? Any any big quarantine birthday plans you got going on? Probably play 18, and uh, that's kind of <laughs> all I can do these days. So that'll be about it. That's all right. That's a good birthday. Um, well, let's uh, let's talk about the last couple of months. Sean, the ninth ranked prospect in the in the Giants organization coming into this year and uh, headed into to twenty twenty and and making that climb closer and closer to the big leagues. Last year, finishing the year, getting some time at uh, at Double A Richmond, uh, and then all of a sudden everything goes into a halt. Um, the last two months, really, since spring training got started and then stopped, what have uh, the last couple of months been like for you? Um, just weird. Uh, I mean, that's really the only word that keeps coming to mind because, you know, everybody went down for spring training. We were we were gearing up, ready to go. I mean, big leagues were almost like a week out from from starting their season, and all of a sudden, we're basically it feels like we're in the off season all over again. And so it's just it's just weird. And so trying to stay up with that, uh, you know, that momentum that we had that we started in spring training, just trying to stay up with that because baseball is coming back, and and when it does, we're going to hit the ground running. So just trying to stay as close to game shape as I possibly can be. It's just been kind of the number one goal, really, with all that. What was the road like for you from when you guys were informed in Arizona? Obviously, you're a, a Giants farmhand. You're in Arizona. You're from Minnesota. You went to college in Kentucky. Right now, you're in Virginia. What, When you guys were informed that spring training was going into a halt, what were your steps uh, from then on to find yourself now in Richmond? Um, I immediately got in my car and drove out to Richmond from Phoenix, uh, because we um, we had our first uh, son born here a month ago, so hey, congratulations. I had to get out here for that. Thank you. So um, yeah, I immediately got in the car and drove out here. So that was that was pretty much honestly that was kind of a blessing having spring training get canceled because you know he was supposed to be born in the second. No, I think our last day of minor leagues was the third or something like that. So it was going to be a tight squeeze. So spring training getting postponed was actually kind of a blessing in that area for me. 
All right. Well, then uh, bouncing off of that, then uh, I'll ask a two parter. One is what is it like just having a child now? Um, you know, put baseball aside. I mean, it's such a crazy time to have a kid. And two, what pitches are you already working on with your son? <laughs> um, again, this has kind of been a blessing. We, we just get to hang out here and, and just spend time with them. And, um, we really don't have to worry about baseball or, or anything else in life right now. We just, you know, we can get cooped up like everybody else that's, that's, you know, going through this, but we just spent uninterrupted time with them and it's actually been pretty amazing. And, uh, I don't know how we would have started this whole parenting thing off with baseball right away too. So, um, nice to get our kind of our feet underneath us before baseball comes back in the picture. Um, I haven't started any, any pitches with him, but I will be tying his right hand behind his back and forcing him to be a lefty here one day. Wow. Man. Wow. Okay. And you're a righty. So that's, is that just because that's, uh, that's where the jobs are? Or, uh, what, why do you say that as a right-hander? Lefties are always more attractive when you're talking from a, a coaching and a scouting angle. So, yeah. <laughs> Baseball dad status starts very early. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but just to, to go back to, to yourself here, you know, we've talked to hitters the last couple of weeks about what they can do. We've talked to catchers about what they can do to, to stay fresh. But as a pitcher, what are you able to do now? Like, what are your do you go through bullpen sessions? Do you go to do you have somebody to throw to even uh, how do, how do your workouts look right now? Um, I've actually feel like I've been one of the very lucky ones through all this having our double a team be out here in richmond i'm able to go to that stadium and it's it's pretty much just me and the the handful of, of field crew guys that are still there maintaining the field and, and keeping it up to date so i can go use our weight room i can go throw in the batting cages if i need it i can hit in the batting cages if i'm if i feel so inclined as to do so um i had a teammate come out here with me originally uh but then he went back to arizona so he was a catcher, so I could throw bullpens with him. So that was really nice. But now he um, he's from Richmond, so he set me up with um, one of his um, local catching friends out here. So I've been throwing a couple bullpens with him now. So I do have someone to throw with, and I got a weight room. I got facility. I, I pretty much have everything I need. So, again, I, I feel like I've been one of the few lucky ones when it comes to – because I've seen guys – do a lot of makeshift stuff at home and, and, you know, gym workouts and buying PVC piping and putting a net on it to throw into. And I've seen some creative uh, ingenuity for sure through all this. Well, John, one of the things that's that's so strange about all of this is you figure with anything in life, uh, you settle into a little bit of normalcy or a little bit of routine, but still we're two months into this and nothing about it feels normal or routine. I mean, for it to be May 6th, uh, I would imagine there's probably, with the exception of the field being so well manicured, there's probably kind of a walking dead sensation to it where you're going into an empty stadium in the middle of May and getting your work done, but it's not a normal May. I mean, how weird is it uh, to be doing all of this right now when you should be really a month into the season? It, Like I said, the first word that comes to mind with all this is weird. It's weird to go into a stadium and have there be no one else. It's, it's weird to blast my music while I'm working out and not worry about anybody else hearing it or, or trying to interrupt anybody. And it's, it, it's weird. I mean, it's, it's, amazing and it's it's very nice for me that i get to go do that still and i haven't missed a beat but yeah i just keep landing back on that word weird because you know i like i said it feels like we're back in the off season and we should be a month into the season and uh yeah i i keep repeating that word weird because that's that's just all it is 
there are, I would imagine, two things that you get asked most about. Uh, and one of them is your last name, H-J-E-L-L-E, uh, pronounced Jelly. What is the worst way that's been butchered? You go into a, a stadium, whether it's high school or college or at the minor league level, what's the thing that you hear most often with how your last name gets butchered? Oh, well, well, there were two questions there. The most often is a gel. The worst one I ever heard was he- was hell. <laughs> all right everybody's got mm-hmm. an interpretation of it um what and mm-hmm. and as far as uh having to go into a place and i would imagine you have to explain that to every media relations staff do you get the the giants people obviously are great but does it get annoying that it's something that kind of follows you around that throughout your life you gotta be no it's it's this is how it is it's not hell it's not hell it's not hegel it's gotta be kind of irritating no no, that's not really irritating at all. I, again, everybody's got their own interpretation, and I'm always very curious to hear what uh, what that is. The funniest to me is the people that you can hear hesitate before they say it because they know that they're going to butcher it, and they just have to accept their fate. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not irritating at all. It's it's a nice little bit of entertainment for me. That's a that's a better way to look at it. Um, the the obvious thing that you're probably asked about all the time, then, uh, in addition to that, is your height. You're six eleven. Uh, when you make it to the big leagues, you will match John Rauch as the tallest major leaguer in history. And uh, that, especially from a pitching standpoint, the reason you know you're going to be asked about that, regardless of whatever walk of life you're in. But from a pitching standpoint, it's so fascinating because it it creates so many different elements to your game. The angle that you're pitching from the leverage of, of what you get from having long limbs and long legs and all that. Um, how do you feel like as, you know, now being 23 years old tomorrow, you've been able to turn that into an asset? Because I know that's one of the things that everybody talks about with your game is how well you are able to leverage your size and your control. Well, everybody talks about, you know, prepping for a game, you have to prep for the opponent. And as a pitcher, you know, you got to know that, that lineup, you know, in and out and know, you know, guys can hit and guys can hit. But, you know, you, you got to know yourself too. You have to know how you pitch as, as a pitcher. And you talk to a lot of pitchers who have, you know, had a lot of years in this game, you know, are veterans and pitch forever. Um, I was actually just listening to uh, Jerry Blevins talk about this. You know, he's, I think he's got 13, 14 seasons. Um, you know, you, you got to evolve as a pitcher. You have to know yourself. How you start your career as a pitcher is probably going to look differently how you pitch at the end of it. So just knowing that aspect and knowing that, you know, I do have that uniqueness and those angles and, and trying to use that to my advantage as best I can is, is, is very important for, for everybody to be aware of no matter what they're doing. Yeah, and, and uh, obviously height is something that's always been around for you. But at what point in your – baseball life did you realize not only am i just tall but i'm like tall for a pitcher and this is getting to a point where uh you know i don't know if it's something i can leverage and something i can make work to to myself was that were you like a late bloomer in high school were you you know higher taller than six six as a Uh, sophomore what was your growth spurt kind of like i mean i went into high school i was a freshman in high school at six nine so i was always wow the tallest um so that was just just always was what it was i mean i was tall and that was that's just that was it yeah no fair enough and were there any other positions you played in high school uh not very well (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, see, because I want to ask, because we have like O'Neill Cruz now in the Pirates organization, who I think is six seven and plays shortstop. So I wanted the idea of like a six foot nine second baseman would have been awesome. But were you like the first baseman or a corner outfielder or something? Um, it, I would. I got. I don't know. Six or seven games at first base in my high school career. Otherwise, I was just on the mound. I always wanted to play second base, but um, just never worked out that way. Yeah. Fair enough. Things out of your control. Well, let's let's talk about what happened at the University of Kentucky. You start your career there in the bullpen, like so many freshmen do. You transition to a starting role. At what point did you feel like, hey, this is really clicking for me, and, and I'm more than just a big guy. I'm, I'm a potential pro pitcher, and you know, eventually going to a high round pick with the Giants. You know, I, I it didn't click for me that I could be a pro pitcher until I you know I saw my name got called. Otherwise, I was just trying to be where my feet were and just focus on what was what was ahead of me. If it didn't happen that day, then it may not have happened the next. And, and you know, what's the worst that happens? I, I go back for a senior year and get a degree and enjoy one more great year at Kentucky. So um, I was just enjoying the moment and just just having fun where I was. And uh, in terms of the development of your pitches, um, some of the stuff I've read, some people favor your curveball. Some people favor your changeup. Uh, talk about the development of those two and what's gotten you you know, to now double-A Richmond. Uh, is there a pitch out of those off-speed stuff that you prefer, and what do you feel like has come along the furthest since you heard your name called there in the draft? Um, since the draft has come along the furthest has, has been the changeup for sure. Um, in high school, that was my pitch. And then I didn't throw a, a curveball until I got to college. Um, and then I really worked on the curveball in college and lost the changeup a little bit. And now I have a good curveball and then I got to work on the changeup. And it's just kind of a constant ebb and flow between the two. And so just getting them both at, at a consistent, constant level, it's just been the, the battle for me because, you know, you focus on one, you lose the other, then you try and play catch up and it's that constant back and forth like I talked about. So that was just a really big focus for me this offseason was just having all three and not, you know, focus so much on my curveball that I lose the change up or vice versa. So just having all three pitches thrown in the fastball too, just having all three consistent in the zone, that's all, that's all I could ask for. John, let's talk about um, those college days. You grow up in Minnesota and you go to Kentucky, uh, 2017 SEC Pitcher of the Year, and to be recruited by a, a powerhouse program like that and go pitch in the SEC, um, being a Northern State kid, what was that recruiting process like? And when you jumped into to SEC ball, how much fun was that to jump you know, right into the highest level of college baseball? Uh, yeah, I, I got recruited there. Um, it all happened the uh, summer before my senior year of high school. Um, Brad Bohannon was the recruiting coordinator at the time. He's the head coach at Alabama now. And he saw me throw once, got me on campus, and that was pretty much it. Uh, I got on campus, and I knew that that's where I wanted to go. And uh, in terms of the baseball sense, I grew up in kind of a little sheltered glass bubble. I had no idea what SEC baseball meant, and I really didn't understand what it meant probably until I got through my sophomore year. Um, so it was it was kind of a whirlwind that first year. I learned a lot, and uh, I was very thankful that that, that team in uh, 16 would have been my first year. That team had so many older guys, so many veterans, juniors, and seniors that, that were on that team to just kind of guide all of us because we had a, a pretty big freshman class come in that year, and they just kind of took us all under their wing. And it, uh, it was a huge help for that because – Otherwise, you know, I still may not understand what, what, you know, playing at that level means. 
So I got very fortunate there and uh, three of uh, some of the best years of my life. So it was, it was an awesome experience. You go to the Giants in the second round in 2018 and uh, get started in pro ball at the short season level in 2018. And then last year, three levels, Augusta, San Jose, and Richmond. Um, to start out with Augusta and San Jose and be so good and roll through those couple of levels, an ERA of 2.66 uh, in the Sally League and 2.78 in the Cal League. Um, how much confidence does that give you your first few really full months as a, a pro ball player? The short season life is so different, but coming out of spring training and getting into full season leagues, what does that do for you to build you up in your early days of minor league baseball to have such a good role right out of the gate last season? Well, the, the, the buildup doesn't happen with, you know, rolling through by any means. It, it happens when I get, when I get rolled through and, you know, I, I, I I'll never forget. I, I was, I opened up in Augusta at our home opener against Greensboro and got absolutely just smoked, just hammered. And cause I couldn't have thrown any strikes. And I was just like, you know what, I got to throw strikes. You know, I already knew this, but it was just another good learning moment. You know, can't throw strikes. Or you got to throw strikes, otherwise you can't win. So it was those moments that that really helped me to boost me and learn. And, um, you know, I we got, um, especially in Augusta, I went there with, with a lot of the pitchers from my class. And um, we were a pretty tight-knit group. We all leaned on each other. And just having that camaraderie just leaning on each other talking and learning from from one another's experiences on the mound was just awesome and so it was just nice because you hear the horror stories of pro ball of everybody's out for themselves and you know it's cutthroat and this and that and you know i go to my first full season team and everybody's just asking questions and trying to learn from each other not to boost themselves but to boost the team so i just kind of build off that the first couple months and then going to san jose with that and then going to richmond with that it was just all about that and it it was really fun yeah, and when you change levels so many times in one season like that, uh, you're always getting used to new guys, new new playing environments. I mean, you go from the Sally League to the Cal League. That's got to be eye-opening in terms of what happens when a ball gets hit in the air. And then you go to Richmond, which is two stops away from the majors. Guys you might be facing might have major league experience. That happens. Um, what did you learn about what it takes to kind of acquiesce to a team, get used to a team, get – getting used to new teammates, stuff like that. Um, you know, what techniques did you learn about joining that many affiliates in one year? Um, well, I got lucky because I can talk a wall to a wall. And so <laughs> I was pretty comfortable and knew all the faces of, of almost all the guys in all those clubhouses. So in terms of that transition was, was pretty smooth and pretty easy for me. Um, but going into a new clubhouse, especially you know, once you get to double A, because guys do have that experience and you start running to guys that have more years under their belt and maybe even been with different teams, other organizations and all that sort of stuff. You know, it, it can be, you can kind of let it get to you that, you know, you got something to go out there and prove because, you know, all eyes are watching you and that sort of stuff. But you just go in and, and stick to your routine and you do what you know is successful for you then if you're successful then the team is successful and everybody can just kind of keep building on each other like you know i was talking about before then you just you earn guys' respect and once you earn their respect then it's it's really easy to be a part of a clubhouse because you know any guy that's been in a clubhouse can tell you if, if a teammate doesn't have respect in it then it's it's pretty hard for everybody to get along so that's that's been the most important thing for me is just go out there and, and do my routine and get my job done and just just have respect for everybody. 
And specifically at Richmond, I feel like you did this a little bit at Augusta and San Jose too, but it, it would looked like based on the numbers, it took a few starts before you really started rolling in results. Richmond was no different. You gave up 14 earned runs in your first three starts and then only two or uh, three earned runs over 10 innings in your final two. It sounded like you were piecing things together. Um, what were you learning about yourself at that double A level that, you know, you were hoping to propel you into your second off season? Well, so I always go back to my first start in Richmond and, you know, you, you can never settle as a competitor because once you do, then the, the game, whatever you're doing is just smack in the face. But through the first, I think, four and a third innings in that my first start, I didn't give up a run. And then in two thirds of an inning in the fifth, I gave up five. You know, I thought I, I thought I was feeling good and I was kind of rolling a little bit in, in those first four innings. And then out of nowhere, I was five to nothing at the bottom of the fifth and I just kind of looking back like what the heck just happened and so you just you can't you can't ever just let your guard down because especially you know starting a double a now guys are going to have that that big league experience there's going to be guys that have been in the you know eastern league for three four years now and they probably know what you're throwing before you even know what you're throwing so just constantly staying up with that mental game is it's just huge from here on out otherwise it's going to be hard to find some success and you know when you end up at at double a you feel close to the majors you get a spring invite this spring Uh, i think you got in two games you even got a save going back to days as a kentucky closer but uh how close did you feel this spring to the major leagues well i mean obviously you know being in the big clubhouse it's you know you're with those that team you're with those players and it's it's pretty surreal to, to interact with those players that, you know, for a period of time I grew up watching for a while. And, um, you know, it's, it's awesome and it's humbling all at the same time. But, I mean, I, I knew the whole time I wasn't going to be with that team. I wasn't going to be on the big league team. Um, you know, it was very clear right away. And, you know, I had talks with, with Farhan and, and, and Cap that, you know, you're here to learn. You're here to be a sponge and soak up from – our guys on this team because you look at that roster and there are so many years of experience on that roster and so many championships and all-star appearances and and you name it. So I was just there to soak up and learn and prep myself for wherever I was going to start this year to hopefully then join them someday down the line. And I know you've only been in the system not even two years at this point, but uh, I feel like at the major league level, it is a very veteran team. But below the surface, at at the minor league side, this is a vastly improving system between yourself and Joey Bart in that 2018 draft and Elliot Ramos and Hunter Bishop. They add Seth Corey. A lot of these guys you played with in your climb in 2019. Just how much do you feel like the system has changed just in your two years here? Well, I mean, it, I guess it's hard to, to kind of see the change when, you know, I guess, as you say, we're, you know, I'm kind of in the middle of it because I never saw really what anything was like beforehand. I, I never had any, you know, exposure to pro ball before I, you know, showed up my first day in Arizona. So I, got, I can't really give you much of a, of a comparison, but I can tell you for sure that it's a lot of fun hanging around those guys. Um, I mean, Especially, you know, you mentioned Elliot Ramos. He just, you can tell the guy loves being on the ball field. He's always smiling. He's having fun. I mean, he, he, there's been times, there were times in San Jose where, you know, he's, you know, 0 for 2 to start off the game or something, and or even like his first at-bat or first two at-bats. 
he'll be in the dugout, he'll be smiling, and then he'll look at you and go, I'm going to get this guy next time. And then he goes out and he gets the, the, that pitcher the next time, gets a hit, gets whatever. And he just, you know, having that attitude around, it, it's pretty infectious and it's it's fun to be around. And there's there's plenty of those guys in, in our system and on those teams that I got to play with this year. So, it's again, it was just, it's it's been an awesome experience. It's been a lot of fun. And one teammate specifically uh, I want to ask you about is Joey Bart. As a catcher, you guys have to have somewhat of a relationship, and he's somebody who played at San Jose and Richmond last year. Had to deal with some injuries, but by all means is a good offensive and defensive catcher. What is it like throwing to him, and how long does it take you typically uh, to develop a new relationship with a catcher? So I got to – Joe and I first got drafted. We both went up to Salem as well in short season in 18. And so that's that's kind of where we really um, laid the groundwork for, for our relationship, especially on the field. Um, I, I had two inning starts at that time, so it was harder to kind of lay that groundwork. But um, Joey's pretty awesome about communicating with, with all his pitchers, and, and he, he makes it a point to know how each guy likes to throw and how each guy, you know – approaches kind of how they their routine and how they get up on the mound so and, and i don't mind communicating at all as you guys can tell so laying that groundwork for our relationship was pretty easy with joey and um you know throwing to him is is kind of second nature now you know we got a good thing going uh, on and off the field but especially you know when we're when he's behind the plate and i'm up uh, up there on the mound it's it's pretty easy to have a conversation with him without saying any words so um it's it's fun for sure throwing to him obviously it's you know his skill back there is it makes it fun as well all right sean we'll, we'll end on this one um we've been asking a lot of guys this since you know the the season has been put on pause and uh we don't know when the season will begin uh but through your two years of experience now what would you say is your favorite minor league memory so far Ooh. Wish I would have gotten the prep questions beforehand. <laughs> I to think about this one. Favorite minor league memory. <laughs> I would probably have to say. Yeah, I'm gonna go with this. I'm gonna go with which is kind of our season in San Jose last year. Um, you know, I, like you guys said, I, I joined the team uh, about a little bit later than this time last year. It's, it was end of May, and I spent most of the year with them. And, you know, in the middle of June, we were, I don't know how many games out of the playoffs and out of first place. And, um, you know, we were, we were, we were struggling a little bit, as, as each team does. And, excuse me, by the end of the year, we, uh, we had turned it around and, and, you know, made the playoffs. And, you know, I, I – wasn't able to be there for that they had um they had moved me to richmond before um that season ended and, and before the playoffs started but just you know seeing that you know they had finished it off and made it to the playoffs was pretty awesome because like i said we were we were struggling right in the middle of it uh in in june and early july but just seeing that turnaround and uh watching them you know san jose made the playoffs uh, i saw that and i like it was awesome it was super cool and it was it was fun to say to, that i was a part of that team that that turned it around like that and that's that's always going to be a top memory for me for sure that is pretty sweet 
John Jelly is the ninth-ranked prospect in the San Francisco Giants organization, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll be in Richmond for some real baseball before too long. And Sean, we can't thank you enough for uh, all the time today, man. And best of luck sticking with it over the the rest of the isolation period. And uh, we'll see you on a field here sometime soon. Sounds good to me. Thanks for having me on, guys. As an official partner of Minor League Baseball, Nationwide's here to make sure you're protected for every pitch life throws at you. Visit Nationwide.com today to see how we can help meet your needs. Nationwide is on your side. The first week of May, we welcome in uh, Benjamin Hill for some fun stuff that is up on the site and uh, going on around the world of Minor League Baseball. Hey, Ben. Hey, Tyler, and hey, Sam. Um, It's funny, Tyler, you just saying the first week of May made me in my mind you know calculate what day it is and it is the first week of day you know we're or first week of day it's the first week of may and the day in which we are talking right now is may 6th and that reminds me it's my half birthday and i'm only saying that right now so you know podcast listeners who are of course you know huge fans of mine can write down when my actual birthday is and then surprise me by wishing me happy birthday on my actual birthday at which point i will have forgotten ever having this conversation <laughs> So. This is a we're a very birthday centric podcast uh, this week. We just had Sean Jelly from the San Francisco Giants on whose birthday is tomorrow, and your half birthday is today. <laughs> we need uh, Gerard next. It's got to be like his quarter birthday or something. Just like once every once every three months, just celebrates the the day of, uh, of his birthday. Anyway, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, yeah, if you think about it, every day we're having some sort of fractional birthday. That's true. That's, That's true. It's yeah. one three hundred and sixty fifth of a of a birthday for all of us today. Um, well, Ben, let's uh, dive in. You got a, a story up on the site that I read uh, this morning, which is so much fun. Which is um, fun facts for every organization in the International League, and uh, I know that uh, there are a lot of things in here that I had no idea about, which is the point of the whole thing. Um, I loved our our media wall graphic yesterday, which said, uh, did you know the International League actually has no teams outside the country? That's a free one, but here are some other fun (laughs) facts on International League teams. But this is really cool. This is is a kind of bite-sized morsel stuff that I love about uh, about the history of minor league baseball. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, with no games, we're trying to think of fun things to do and, uh, you know, me personally, fun things to write about. And, uh, you know, the idea developed over the last couple of weeks, um, you know, hey, how about some, you know, a one strange fact about each team or weird or unique or, um, you know, so we just kind of set it on one unique fact about every team and do it league by league and, uh, you know, have some recurring, you know, weekly fun with just looking throughout the entirety of the minor league baseball landscape and just trying to highlight one random thing that uh, fans may or may not know. Um, I think that's kind of the benefit for me of uh, having done this job for so long. I got more of that stuff floating around in my brain and to kind of do some research in some cases i went to my blog and just typed in the team name in the search bar you know ben's biz blog and in some cases i'd find something i wrote in 2010 or 2011 and just use that as my uh, as my uh, go-to fact for the team just trying to find something totally random um but it was fun to put together and you know there's a lot more where that came from i think i'll just do league by league every week and um you know, from you guys, from coworkers, from uh, you know Twitter, and uh, you know people who want to email. Um, I'm definitely uh, t- t- uh, anyone who wants to submit their own favorite fact about any minor league team. Uh, please get in touch with me, and I'll do my best to include them in, in future columns. And this just kind of made me think of like bar trivia. Like these are like the perfect bar trivia factoids, or like Jeopardy, or something like that. So. 
I'll put it this way. If one of the ones I thought was easiest, but not something I would have thought of ahead of time, which is the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders are the longest team name in minor league baseball. There are 31 characters in Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. Um, so if that's like the opening question of a bar trivia category about the international <laughs> league, what do you think was like the most difficult? What is something not anybody would really know except for the really hardcore IL fans? Um, I mean, it's more about the randomness of some of these, you know, I think what maybe, you know, randomness is, I guess, uh, kind of subjective, but I think one of the most random facts I put in this entire article is um, I was looking through my own, you know, long back history of just stuff I've written about these teams. And I found this kind of throwaway promotion that Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs did in 2010 when there was a man in like Minnesota or Wisconsin somewhere who saved a pig's life by doing um, mouth to snout resuscitation. And then the Iron Pigs in Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania put out a press release um, praising this man who had saved a pig's life by doing mouth to snout resuscitation and they went on to use all these pig puns and praising him and apparently sent him um chapstick and listerine uh as well as you know an iron pig's prize pack for uh, his work in saving a pig's life um so that was probably the most random one just trying to go through these teams history and finding things that uh may have occurred you know in the archives where most people would be like wait what and some of it like you said sam is you know just things like the most uh the longest team name in minor league baseball or a, you know, or a four digit uh, retired number in the case of the Rochester Red Wings and, you know, and, and on and on it goes. I got to say, if uh, you were going to ask what movie inspired the national Buffalo wing festival, uh, which was not a thing <laughs> before the early two thousands, I do not think that I would have guessed uh, the Bill Murray vehicle osmosis Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, no I, I've never I've never seen I vaguely remember the title Osmosis Jones, but um, I've certainly never seen that movie. And uh, the fact that that is the reason the National Buffalo Wing Festival exists now to this day, which is in turn the reason the Buffalo Bisons never play a home game over Labor Day weekend because said wing festival is taking place. What a world we live in. You know, everything is connected, man, if you really think about it. It was pretty amazing. And uh, that pivots us well, talking about food, uh, to another story coming to the site, which is a lot of teams have uh, have started to jump on this bandwagon, and it's really, really cool. If you are missing your favorite team's ballpark food, there are a lot of teams around the country that have started to offer that ballpark food to go, curbside or uh, however you may acquire it. Um, but this is a really – it's a great idea, and teams all over the minor league map are doing this from AAA all the way down to the to the lower levels. Yeah, you know, it's been something that um, – I believe, you know, I never like to say a team was the first because then some other team comes and says, no, actually it was us. Uh, but I believe this started with the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. But um, over the last, you know, five, six weeks, uh, we've seen a lot of teams doing curbside con- concessions of some kind. You know, some teams do it, you know, literally every day. Some just do it on Fridays. Some just say, hey, you know, one time only, we're going to do it now, and then maybe we'll come back next month and do it. So it's been a real grab bag all around the minor leagues. Um and I, I let off the article with, uh, in a lot of ways, because it happened very recently. But Tyler, this is one of your former minor league baseball places of employment. But the Altoona Curve uh, yesterday, May fifth, um, sold uh, curve burgers at the ballpark uh, to go curbside pickup, and uh, you know they put those on on for an online pre order and sold out in like a couple hours. And uh, 
it's funny how popular curve burgers are among Altoona curve fans because they're basically just cheeseburgers. But, you know, sometimes there's just something special about a, a way a team makes something or the way they taste at the ballpark. But got the Altoona curve burgers, a lot of stuff in Pensacola, Charleston, as they often do, the River Dogs getting creative with things like the brisket ramen bowl. Um, Beloit Snappers now selling cheese curds. Rochester Red Wings, you can get some garbage plates or just plates, as it were, and uh, so on and so forth. So just a little overview of the uh, culinary landscape that's occurring uh, even when there are no games. And, and how much of this is just like a lot of these teams have the inventory. They have the food stuff around. They ordered it for the season, and this is a good way of getting out there. And how creative are they being? I mean, you mentioned like a ramen burger. Is that something that would have been on the menu, or are they trying out new stuff to try to help move uh, some of that inventory? That's a good question. I don't think there's been anything that's been – a standalone, like, uh, you know, quarantine era special that didn't exist in some form in the ballpark. Um, you know, Sam, you're right about inventory in a lot of ways. Um, you know, this whole uh, suspension of the season came at a really bad time for, uh, you know, minor league baseball because they made all their preparations for the season. You know, if the season had been, if the coronavirus had happened, you know, in September, October, and the shutdown had happened then, then teams could have saved a lot of money by, not making a lot of purchases for the upcoming season. Um, so that goes beyond the food, but um, that is certainly part of it. And, uh, you know, kind of hand in hand with that is uh, you're obviously never going to replicate the revenue that you get right now from actually having games and opening the ballpark, but teams are scrambling for whatever they can do to, you know, make a little revenue, stay in the public eye and, uh, you know, for fans, uh, you know, provide them with something that reminds them of their, you know, relationship with the team. So, um, you know, teams have been doing it for the last couple of months. I see uh, more teams probably doing it in the weeks to come. And uh, until there's baseball again, I think this will be part of the minor league landscape, uh, you know, offering concessions uh, across the country. You know, not every team, but I think more and more teams will do it. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter at Ben's Biz, and uh, you can find all the stuff on the site as well. Uh, the fun facts, pretty awesome. And uh, if you're in a market where you can get some of this to-go ballpark food as well, you should do that and uh, lend a little bit of support to some of these teams. And, Ben, thanks for all the uh, all the time and all the things that I now want to eat for this week. Um, they'll, be, they'll be good to get me some inspiration for lunch today. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, Tyler, I have to ask, um, were you a fan of the Curve Burger? You know, uh, I gotta say, yeah, it was fine. It, it was just a burger, to me. <laughs> like, it, like you, you kind of know it. I mean, it, it really, it's just, it's not as though there is uh, a special sauce or a topping or something. Like, it was a good ballpark burger. But I remember going there and being told about curve burgers, and then getting there and being like. Oh, that's just the name of the burger here. I thought it was like a burger topped with mac and cheese and brisket and a million different things. And I got there and it was it was a burger. I mean, it was it was a good burger. <laughs> you know, it's my it's my uh, Glenn. Don't kill me. I don't think Glenn is running concessions in Altoona anymore anyway. <laughs> but uh, it was it was a good burger. We'll we'll say that. We'll leave it at that. I don't think you could hedge more if you were a landscaper. <laughs> <laughs> Look, sometimes a good burger is all you need. That's true. That is that is certainly true. I've I've indulged in that in my brain several times over the last couple of months just to have an excuse to eat burgers. It's been good. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Ty. Thank you, Sam. I will talk to you guys next week. Our 
MILB.com writer spotlight this week. Uh, for the first time, this uh, this weird spring delay, we welcome in Gerard Gilberto, who joins us to uh, talk about a, a story that has one of the best connections of any story that I think we've put on the site in uh, at least quite some time, uh, and also has a very good baseball player as its subject. And uh, Gerard, welcome, man. What's going on? How's it going, boys? We're good. So this this story went up on the site uh, on Monday. We're recording this on Wednesday the 6th, and it is about New York Mets prospect Tommy Wilson, who was a 19th-round pick of the Mets in 2018 out of Cal State Fullerton. Uh, last year, first full pro season, really, really good between St. Lucie and Binghamton. His overall numbers uh, better at the class a advanced level uh than a double a but still had some success at double a and you know in just his first full pro season already reaching the eastern league um but his father is the actor who played biff tannen in the back to the future franchise which is just one of the wildest can i had no idea until i saw this story come out on monday that that was a thing uh and it turns out he's a very good prospect as well this is a, a really cool angle and a really cool story that you you brought out yeah, this was this was fun because uh, Tommy is the son. Obviously, Tom Wilson is the uh, actor, the father. But Tommy is a is a great guy to talk to too. He's uh, very open to it. You could tell it wasn't the first time someone's asked him, "Hey, isn't, isn't your dad the guy from the Back to the Future?" So he, he was uh, he was he was game. How what kind of uh, effect does that have on a player like this because we talk to so many prospects all of us do about you know playing in front of the lights and all of that stuff tommy wilson has a dad who everybody has seen whether it's on their tv screens big screens whatever growing up in la knowing every everybody knows who his dad is what kind of effect do you think that had on him getting used to at least minor league lights early in his career um for him it was a little bit different because um his father's an, an admitted a baseball guy he, he he joked around that you know he was uh in high school he was uh, president of the debate team he played the tuba in the band he said paint your own picture you know he wasn't a big sports guy and then uh you know he, he even joked when his son was in little league I, i'm just happy to not be the most coolest guy there so in sports, it's a little different. Um, you know, so he, he started playing baseball because his parents sort of gave him the do something uh, uh, directive. You know, I don't care what you do. You, you could paint. You could, you know, throw sticks at other kids. Don't just throw them at your sisters. Um, <laughs> do something that, uh, you know, gets you, gets you involved. And, you know, he just happened to be good at baseball. And, of course, it helps to be built like Biff Tannen, which although he didn't act like him, he wasn't, he's not Biff Tannen in real life at all. He, he was, you know, he joked that he was on the other side of the bullying growing up. Uh, it does help to be six four, two thirty, and, you know, throw the ball pretty well. And, and as far as you're talking about, you know, growing up in spotlight, it was, he's the, the fourth of uh, four. He's got three older sisters. And he, he said that his, uh, it didn't really hit him till high school, you know, what kind of effect that all of it had. And it's just kind of been fun for him since, because, you know, it's a comedy. It's a, it's a fun movie. People, some people can't, but, um, you know, a movie and that it's, it's not, uh, really how the, how his father is. And from there, it's just kind of fun for him, uh, just based on, on talking to him. And, uh, he's, a, he really tries to, 
do more than uh, just kind of go outside of baseball as well. It's, it's, it's not just an actor. He's a stand-up comedian. He's a very interesting guy. And Tommy himself um, last year started his own podcast. He, he does some video stuff. And, you know, it's it, that's sort of what kind of uh, ran in the family is just needing that creative outlet. Jordan, we'll obviously talk uh, more about the the connection to his, his father as we continue the conversation. But one of the things that makes stories like this so great are the the baseball specific elements of it. And you've got so much good stuff uh, in there about Tommy Wilson as a prospect. And he went to uh, the same high school program that produced Giancarlo Stanton and Hunter Green, uh, Notre Dame and Sherman Oaks, uh, California, and then went on to play at Los Angeles Pierce College, where he learned a delivery from his head coach there, Bill Pickett, which he still uses at the professional level. Um, and what was really interesting is you got him to open up about the struggles that he had in double a last year. He had a 7.90 ERA in his first six starts. Uh, and he said, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I was trying too hard. I was in my head. Um, and then over the, the final stretch there, uh, it goes on the injured list for a little while. And then there's a four start span where he puts up a 1.04 ERA in 26 innings and talked a lot about reclaiming the attitude that he had when he got started in his draft year in 2018 and in St. Lucie to start uh, last season to have that, especially to finish a season on, how does it seem like that set him up going forward, being able to maybe erase some of the, uh, the, frustration of that bad stretch in double a when he got started in binghamton um obviously he's gonna probably when it all resumes will probably uh have his spot back in the eastern league he, he didn't obviously the, those 26 innings aren't gonna push him up to syracuse or, or triple a or anywhere but he did earn his place and i think that that goes a long way for a guy who again we, we're talking about a 19th rounder who you know he is 23 but not a lot of those guys make it to double-A at all, let alone within less than a year after they get drafted. Um, so him having that stretch kind of uh, – he earned this place. And, and, you know, it's not enough to push him to the next level, but I, I think that was important to him. And obviously this is – if if we hear this all the time, obviously talking to prospects, if, if all it takes is an attitude adjustment, then, it, you know, you could go pretty far just, you know, with the mental game. Um, and one of the things we talked about too is that you know it, it because of course he is a big guy, but he isn't the overpowering big guy. Um, and and we talked a little bit about uh, his teammate there in Binghamton for a little while is David Peterson. It's another is Mets number ten prospect. He's six six, uh, probably tops out around ninety two, ninety three. Uh, a lot of junk. You know, he's a lefty, which is a little different. Um, from from Wilson obviously but uh yeah you you learn how to pitch really you're not just being the biggest guy on the on the field which is kind of what he was growing up you know, that's one of the reasons he he developed that confidence that he developed when he was young you know it's just it's it's a very simple thought but I'm the biggest guy here I can overpower people I'm gonna go ahead and do that but now he's he's kind of learning how to pitch a little bit and and that I think like we said those 26 innings uh, solidified his place. He really earned the right answer. Um, more than what can be said about a lot of prospects. All right, Gerard. Uh, just to return back to what makes this story so unique between the older Tom Wilson and the younger Tommy Wilson, um, you know, so much of what we talk about, especially with Ben, is minor league promotions. Uh, but you talked about emailing with the o- older Wilson and him saying, you know, we're comfortable uh, – 
you know, supporting him from the sidelines. We don't want to to make it too much about us. Uh, so does that mean Mets fans shouldn't expect a back to the future night with the real Biff Tannen if, if Tommy Wilson ever makes it all the way to City Field? Um, he'll be there. Without a doubt, he'll be there because if if he'll go, I understand if he wants to go see a game in Fullerton, living in LA. But he made it to Binghamton. I think he'll make it to to Queens if uh, if Tommy does. And let, Tommy really mentioned that he he loves it. It's it's one of the things. It, he might not have been a big baseball guy when Tommy was younger, but now he's you know his number one fan. And uh, he he can he can get loud. He can. It, there's a, a few videos of him really bringing the energy in the, in the stands and I don't know necessarily about back to the future night, but there'll definitely be hope it'll be on the video board at city field this time he's ever there. And, and people can do the thing they kind of always probably do when they see Tom Wilson. And that's, Hey, isn't that Biff Tannen? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, yeah, it was it, part of that. Uh, you know, what, what the older Tom Wilson talked about growing up um, in high school, he was in the, he's in the marching band. He played the two, but he always joked, that uh, the two of us are always moving rocks. People are trying to throw garbage and food and stuff into the tubas. Um, so that's why he always did it. Dun, 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 and they're always swaying back and forth while they're playing the tuba. Um, so he, he knows how to, he knows how to be a fun fan in the, in the stands and, and by the videos that you'll find on the internet of, of Tommy Wilson pitching either in or in the pros there. Um, I think the video I embedded in the story was, um, and and dad was either videotaping or next to whoever was videotaping, and he was he really got loud. But yeah, yeah. If if Tommy makes it to uh, to City Field, uh, Thomas will be there as well, and it'll be it'll be like I said, isn't that Biff Tannen? Gerard, <laughs> <laughs> a couple more for you. We'll get you out of here. And like you said, uh, actually, if you go back just a very short time in uh, in Tom Wilson, the father's Twitter feed, he retweeted an MILB tweet from uh, last July in uh, Tommy Wilson's first start uh, after coming off of the injured list. But for the, the younger uh, Tommy Wilson, one thing that I always remember is uh, Lucas Giolito's grandfather, played Susan's father on Seinfeld. And I remember when Lucas was getting close to the major league, somebody asked him about it and he was like, yeah, I don't really know anything about Seinfeld. I've never watched it. People tell me it's a big deal. Uh, And then of course there was like, you know, crotchety old sports writer uproar of how could Lucas Giolito not know anything about Seinfeld. Lucas Giolito was like two when Seinfeld went off the air. Tommy Wilson was born considerably after the back to the future movies. So for him, and you've touched on this a little bit, but what is it like being uh, the son of somebody who is so loved and, and revered for something that he did way before your lifetime? Like, I can't imagine Tommy Wilson really grew up watching the Back to the Future movies that much because I don't think a whole lot of kids born in 1996 were probably that into it. Uh, I'm not too much older than Tommy Wilson myself. And I, I, I remember seeing it when I was, you know, really, really young. Uh, I've probably seen it ten thousand times since myself, and and he said that nothing that stuff didn't really hit him till he got to high school. But once he kind of got the hang of it, he knew it's a classic. I, I mean, not saying science is not a classic, but I'm a but best Tannen a little bit higher up on the totem pole than wow. Susan's father, with all due respect. <laughs> Just the two characters individually. Not saying you know Seinfeld isn't isn't a classic. Seinfeld is fantastic. Let's let's not kid ourselves. Um, but. Uh, no, he. It was. It's. It's not really a niche. It's. It's part of. It's part of American culture, really, of the of the last, you know, 
I guess 35 years now since it, since it's come out and it's not going any away as well. And he kind of, he, he understood that right away. And, and he really, he was really proud of his father too, you know, which I can't blame him, you know, obviously did a great job because, you know, if you didn't look into Thomas Wilson, you'd probably think he was some jerk that they just picked out of the jerk store. If you want to go back to science. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I'm good like that, but no, if you didn't realize he was, if you didn't realize he was much more than that and nothing like a real bully, you know, uh, you probably wouldn't have thought twice. And I'm sure, you know, Tyler, you mentioned you didn't know about it. You probably thought, Hey, if I heard the story about how the guy that played Biff Tannen was actually a jerk, I wouldn't have been surprised, but it's good acting on his part to be a jerk and not actually be a jerk in real life. Um, so he was proud of his father was something that he, he kind of knew, you know, it's, it's a, it's a classic. You're not going to outrun a classic. It is pretty great. And, uh, the story, uh, yeah. read, read all the way through to the last paragraph because Tommy talks about his father's presence at games and, uh, it is everything that you would hope for, for, for any good minor league father, but even more when you, uh, realize that the, the guy he's talking about is the guy who played Biff Tannen. Uh, you can find Gerard on Twitter at Gerard underscore Gilberto. And, uh, this story is up on the site right now. It ran on Monday. Um, and just great stuff, Gerard, as always. And, uh, thanks for coming on, man. It's good to talk to you. And we'll, uh, we'll do this again soon. Of course. And if you got a second, you should check out Tom USA on Twitter. That That's the older Tom Wilson, who he replied to a minor league baseball tweet of the story uh, because somebody said uh, the Tommy's nickname should, of course, be Butthead. And Tommy said, <laughs> Tommy, older Tom said, wow, your 19 followers must have liked that. And the gentleman who said his nickname should be Butthead said, dude, you should watch the movie. That's what his character says. To the character, to, to Tom Wilson, he told him, "You got to see what Biff Tannen said to Biff." So <laughs> make sure you that, watch this that movie. Was the guy who played exchange. Biff yeah. Tannen. Yeah, right. Exactly. So that was that was the that made it all worth it. Really, if I, if I I'm, I'm would have liked to have talked to older Tom, but that Twitter exchange was made it all worth it. Pretty great, Gerard. Thanks, man. Good stuff. Take care, boys. Big thanks, everybody, uh, for joining the show this week. And Sam has our uh, weekly Nationwide Prospect Fun Fact. Yeah, so this week's Nationwide Prospect Fun Fact, uh, I actually went back to a tool shed I wrote this week. Uh, we talked about in the opening segment, my one on Nick Gonzalez. If you've been following the site in the last couple of weeks, I've been doing a series grouping lineups by age. So all the 22-year-olds are together, all the 21-year-olds are together, all the 20-year-olds are together, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I did a piece this week kind of wrapping up all of that, and you can see the lineups next to each other. It just organized a little bit better. Uh, I talked about who would probably win in a tournament of those lineups. I think it would be age 22, and it's for this reason, and this is the fact I wanted to bring up this week. Uh if we use June 30th as the cutoff for what your age season is, so Gavin Lux is going into his age 22 season because he would be 22 on June 30th. If we use that as the cutoff, the average age for the top 100 of MLB.com this season is 21.47. The mode is 22. 
So 27 of the top 100 would be playing 2020 at age 22. That kind of makes 22 is what I call peak prospect. Uh, it's not anything I had thought of before uh, doing this series, but anybody who's younger than 22 usually is filled with a little bit more potential. Uh, anybody who's older than 22, a little bit more experienced and has to show something before they make the major leagues. Uh, it's just something to think about in terms of when you look at a prospect and wonder why are they ranked at, at this place? Usually they peak around 22. They come down a little bit after that. Uh, so some of the 22-year-olds going into this year are Adley Rutschman, Luis Robert, Gavin Lux, Andrew Vaughn, Nolan Jones, Alex Kirilov, Carter Keboom, J.J. Blade, Vidal Bruhan, Dustin May, Jesus Luzardo. You can make an entire lineup out of just top 100 guys who are entering their age 22 season in 2020. Um, so just something to think about when you look at this year's top 100. Just know that the average age is just a touch below 22, and actually the most common age you'll see is 22 as well. Good stuff from Sam. Uh, all the Toolshed pieces, of course, are up on the site right now, uh, as is everything we talked about with Ben and Gerard's story, too. And uh, we also, one more plug, um, had a piece that went up to the site today. Uh, Jordan Wolf and I wrote a uh, story on some of the notable former prospects who are now playing in the Korea baseball organization, the KBO, which, of course, started its season this week. Um, handful of names you might recognize as well. Uh, in the Chinese Professional Baseball League in Taiwan, um, but mostly uh, among notable guys who are overseas right now. The KBO's got them, and uh, that story is on the site too. So uh, one more thing before we get out of here, I got to give a, a special shout-out and thank you. Um, back on opening day, Sam and I did uh, an Instagram Live for MILB, uh, in which we talked about the podcast and the start to what would have been the season, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then a little while later, I did an Instagram Live where I showed off my uh, obscene minor league hat collection. Um, the Tacoma Rainiers happened to notice that I did not have any Rainiers hats and uh, Kyle McGilvray, who was the team store manager in Tacoma, got in touch with me uh, asked if they could send me a Rainiers hat, had me pick one out uh, a few days later I got a box in the mail there were two Rainiers hats inside uh, and that was just the coolest thing and made my my month and uh, so I wanted to give a big shout out to Kyle who listens to the podcast and uh, it was it's such a cool gesture and I have worn uh, each of my Rainiers hats pretty much every day since i got them so i uh, just want to say a big thanks to kyle and that'll do it for this week's episode uh, of the show before the show he's sam i'm tyler we'll talk to you next week 